The Lieutenant Nun, Catalina de Arraso. If you thought that the murderess of last week had a wild story, then wait until you hear about our antihero this week. Welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle, and this week we are covering the story of Catalina de Arraso, also known as Lieutenant Nun, and how her magical virginity saved her from being prosecuted for two decades of murder. That's right, her intact hymen somehow made her invulnerable to multiple murder charges. And for this episode, we get to hear the story from Catalina herself, because she wrote a biography called Lieutenant Nun. Memoir of a Basque Transvestite in the New World, which was written in the 1600s. And I have to say that one of the things that I loved as I read through her memoir was just how matter-of-fact everything was. It was just an account of every event that happened in her life, starting with when she first ran away from the convent she was sent to. And the ending is also just super matter-of-fact and very blunt. So obviously I got a lot of facts from the memoir itself, as well as from my new favorite website, Rejected Princesses, which I gushed about last episode. So if if you guys have not yet checked it out, you definitely should because it's an amazing website filled with all this cool history and facts about women around the world and stories that honestly I never even heard of before. And I also just want to make a note that I tried to see if Catalina had specific pronouns that she used, but in her book she uses both feminine and masculine pronouns. And a bunch of the scholars that I read online don't seem to agree on if she used one over the other or even had a preference, so I will be using she in this episode. All right. Let's get started. The life of Catalina begins in 1585 in a town called San Sebastian, which was in the Wiposcoa province of Spain. Apparently that was near France, and a lot of people from that region were known as the Basque. And that comes up a lot later in the story, so just keep that in mind as we continue. This is also around the time period where Spain was getting very much into adventuring, aka conquering the world, and extending their conquest as far as they could. Catalina was a third daughter and a middle child. She lived with her family until she was four and then she was sent to a convent in town where she lived until she was 15. She was training to be a nun under one of her aunts and it doesn't really mention a lot about her time there until one day she gets into a disagreement with another nun and ends up getting beaten by this nun who is bigger and stronger and this is when she decides that she's finished with this whole nun life and decides to leave the convent. She steals money and material from her aunt's room and takes off at night while the rest of the nuns are beginning a sermon. According to her, she, quote, struck out in what direction I cannot say, and came upon a chestnut grove just beyond the walls, on the outskirts of the convent grounds. She hid in this orchard for three days and used the materials she'd stolen to make herself a suit of clothes. She also cut off all her hair so that she can pass as a boy. 
She didn't have any idea where she was going or what she was going to do, and she ate herbs from the roadside and drank water where she couldn't find it. Then she comes to this town called Vittoria, where she is taken in by one of her uncles who doesn't recognize her at all. Her uncle and aunt put her up in their house, and her uncle tried to convince her to become a student of his, but she refused. Apparently, he did not like this answer, and he put hands on her, trying to get her to stay. When he did this, she decided to leave and stole money from him on her way out. And honestly, at this point, I'm kind of rooting for her. She doesn't ever go into depth of what made her leave or her emotional response to anything, but it's thought that once she took her vows at the convent, her only two options in life were to possibly get married if a match presented itself, or to live her life as a nun in the convent. Neither appealed to her, hence her life on the run causing mischief and mayhem. But we haven't even reached that point yet. She makes her way to a new city called Valladolid, where she starts to work as a page in the king's court for the king's secretary. She was there for about seven months before she had her second close call with her family. Her father showed up looking for the king's secretary. Now, Catalina's father was pretty highly placed in society. He'd served in the military, and so when he asked for an audience with the secretary, he got one. And Catalina, of course, eavesdropped to see why he was there. Funnily enough, she actually escorted him to the secretary's room, but her father didn't recognize her at all. It turns out he was asking for help, saying that he had a daughter who'd recently gone missing, and he was wondering if they minded keeping an alert out in the area. He sounded really torn up about it, so of course, at this point, Catalina decided to peace out and head somewhere else. She headed to a town called Bilbao, where she wandered around but was unable to find any place to stay and ended up attracting unwanted attention. This was the first arrest she mentions in her memoir because becoming annoyed with the group of teenagers who were harassing her, she picked up some rocks and threw them at the group. She ended up in jail for a month while one of the boys she'd seriously injured recovered and then she was released. She worked in another man's house as his page for about two years before heading back to her hometown and attending mass at her old church. She saw her mother there, who looked right at her and didn't recognize her. And she apparently took this as a sign because then she bartered her way onto a ship and sailed around the Spanish seas for a while before ending up on another ship run by another one of her uncles. This was around 1603, and we still haven't even reached any of the craziest parts of this story. So she's working as a shipboy for her uncle, who also doesn't recognize her, and I just have to say, how observant were these relatives? I get that she was disguised, but you'd think that if these were relatives who knew her, they would at least have some sort of recognition when they saw her. Anyway, she starts working as his cabin boy and gaining his trust until the next moment she spies a chance at freedom. She steals 500 pesos and sneaks on shore. Once on shore, she found work for the treasury agent of Panama, Captain Juan de Ibarra. She stayed in Panama for a couple of months before she finds work with another guy who's a merchant. She ends up running one of his shops and keeping records of all the sales and profits. One day, she had a run-in with a man named Reyes. According to her, she at first asked him politely to move, and he said something nasty back to her. So, of course, she did the same. Then, he threatened her, saying that she'd best, quote, disappear, or he'd be forced to cut my face right open. Now, she didn't have any weapons on her, and it still took her group of friends that she was with all their efforts to drag her out without causing a scene. So, she bided her time until she saw him again. One day, he walked by the store that Catalina was running, and she immediately closed it up early grabbing a knife and running out to meet him. And this is where I take the interaction from her perspective, so keep that with a grain of salt. She came up at him from behind, saying, Ah, Senor Reyes. 
He turned to her and asked, what do you want? And she said, this is the face you were thinking of slashing open. And then she slashed his own face with her dagger. So to turn a long encounter short, she ended up stabbing him through the left side and then running off and seeking sanctuary in a church. And this ended up becoming a habit of hers, one that she would return to as she continued on with her life of brawling and chaos. Now her boss helped her escape to the city of Trujillo, where she set up shop for him as a merchant there. It should be said that her boss's original plan was, have, was to have her marry his mistress and keep them both under his thumb in some weird incestuous work family. It's safe to say that Catalina really didn't go for that. Anyway, so she goes to Trujillo working the business the same way that she did previously. Everything goes fine for about two months when suddenly, guess who shows up? That's right, it's Reyes, and this time he brought friends, and they were all armed. She and another friend who was with her that day began fighting the other three men. Catalina ended up killing one, and it was at this point that the sheriff arrived, and she was taken to jail. On their way there, the sheriff found out that she was a Bascaro and gave her a chance to escape. She went from Trujillo to Lima, with a letter her boss was able to smuggle her to look for a job from a man called Diego de Salarte. But she soon had to leave there too, because she was a little too friendly with his wife's sisters. Now, in her memoir, she admits to frolicking and teasing them. There was one who she especially loved spending time with. One day, she was sitting with her head in the woman's lap and running a hand up and down her legs when Diego de Salarte walked in. It was at this time that she was asked not so politely to leave, about nine months after she arrived. At this point, she didn't have anyone else to turn to in Lima, and she was tired of relying on her boss's contacts. So, deciding that she wanted to see what the rest of the world had to offer, she joined up in, with the company of an army that was recruiting men to fight in Chile. The army sent her to another city called Concepcion, where she ran into another family member, this time her brother. So her brother was Captain Miguel de Arraso. He was serving as a secretary to the governor Alonso de Rivera, and her brother had left when she was two. So she'd never actually met him, which can excuse the fact that he didn't recognize her. But she'd grown up with stories and news of him. And when he found out that she was from his hometown, he begged her for news of his family. So obviously they ended up becoming extremely close, sharing that same bond of growing up in the same place. And she stayed to serve with his company for about three years, all the while never letting him know who she really was. There were times when she joined him at his mistress's house. There were also times when she went to his mistress's house without him. One day, her brother caught her, and he warned her to stay away. But, as I think we've come to realize, Catalina did not listen. She does what she wants, and her brother caught her again, coming from the mistress's house. They ended up having a huge fight, one of those ones that you see in TVs where it starts in one place and then ends up rolling out into a completely different area. Their fight brought one of the other captains out to separate them, and Catalina once again took refuge in a church. So there were no legal repercussions here, but she was assigned to a different unit one that was not nearly as fancy or privileged as it was before. She lived with this unit for, quote, three years of misery and after having always led the good life. Many times in her memoir, she describes having experienced these huge battles as the Spaniards fought the indigenous people living there for their land and resources. Remember, this is during the time of the Spanish conquest where history was terrible. Eventually, after one horrific battle where she was one of the few left alive, she ran across her brother's platoon again when they were called for reinforcements. She stayed with them while she was recovering for her injuries, and it was at this point that she was made a lieutenant because apparently while in the battle, she had managed to grab the flag of her platoon and carry it back with her 
which they saw as an honorable deed, one that was fit rewarding her for. She was a lieutenant for about five years and fought in many other battles. Eventually, she went back to her post in Concepcion, where she once again enjoyed a leisurely life away from the front lines of the wars. Everything there was quiet for a while, until she started frequenting a gambling house. During a game, there was a man who accused her of cheating, so she reacted the only way she thought reasonable and stabbed him in the chest. Apparently, the other patrons didn't agree with her line of thinking, which, you know, makes sense, considering her line of thinking involved murder. She was captured by the other patrons and held until a local judge came in and started questioning her. At this point, her brother came in and caused enough of a distraction for her to escape, but not before she slashed the judge in the face a few times. Here's a pro tip, um, don't stab the law enforcement, it doesn't make you look any more innocent. She managed to make her way to another church. This time though, the governor had the church surrounded by soldiers and kept it under watch for six months. And all the while, Catalina was inside, having claimed sanctuary. Now eventually, public opinion began to sway in her favor, with her friends in the military and her brother all advocating for her release. Soon, the guards stopped keeping watch and her friends began to come and go. One friend was named Juan de Silva, who came to ask for her dueling expertise. Apparently, he had challenged another man to a duel, one that was supposed to be at 11 o'clock, and each man was supposed to bring a second. Catalina at first did not want to attend, fearing that she was already in enough trouble as it was, but Juan persuaded her to go by saying that she was one of the best swordsmen he'd ever met, and that was enough to make her rethink her position. So, the night of the duel, it was completely dark. Juan and his opponent met and began dueling in the complete darkness. But Catalina heard him get hit and cry out, and at this point she jumped into the duel as well. She fought against the opponent's second, as her friend and his opponent ended up killing each other. Her duel lasted a while longer, until she was finally able to lethally stab her own opponent, only to recognize his voice as he fell. Now, having just jumped into the fight to help her friend, she hadn't known who the other man had chosen for his second. But... The second man chosen was, in fact, her own brother. Now, he didn't die immediately and instead begged for her to send for a man of the church. She ran to a nearby church for help and the friars came and took his last confession while he was carried to the governor's house, who he had served under as a secretary. A doctor and a surgeon were rushed there and they tried to do what they could. They also tried to take a statement about who killed him. And when they found out it was Catalina, they once again surrounded the church where she sought refuge. The governor actually tried to force his way in at this point alongside his guard, but the friars held him off and eventually they left. Now Catalina watched them bury her brother from the church windows. She did grieve, of course, because it was her brother and she wasn't heartless. But when chance came to her in the form of Don Juan Ponce de Leon, who gave her a horse and weapons, she immediately took the opportunity to leave. It was at this point that she actually came extremely close to death. So in the beginning of her journey, she joined the company of two other ex-soldiers. The three of them decided to take a path that ascended into the mountains. While they were on that path, they came across no food, no water, and were able to survive on what puddles they found and roots they could dig up. One of her companions soon died of exhaustion as he sat down to rest one day. So, the other two killed his horse for food and continue onwards, where they hoped a civilization was. Three days later, her second companion fell to the ground sobbing and died right there. Catalina was able to carry on for another day before she collapsed, terrified that she would meet the same fate as her companions. But, continuing the uncanny string of luck she seemed to have following her every move, 
she ran across two men who took her to the house of the woman that they were working for. Now, the woman was half Spanish and half indigenous, and she helped nurse Catalina back to health. She was there for about a week, and the woman said that if she wanted to stay on and help manage the place, she would definitely be appreciated. It wasn't that often that they had such handsome young bachelors ride into town. Catalina, obviously down on her luck at that point, jumped at the offer. But there was a catch, of course. The woman had a daughter she wanted Catalina to marry, to make it all official. And Catalina agreed for the time being. She went through with the engagement to a woman who she described as being, quote, as ugly as the devil himself, quite the opposite of my taste, which has always run towards pretty faces. Now, the engagement actually lasted for four months. All the while, Catalina also encouraged a relationship with another woman. Now, this woman was much more her type and gifted her with extremely nice clothing and money. She ended up leading both of them on, taking advantage of the dowries she was being given, until she saw her opportunity to vanish. This time, she found herself at war again against an in-city uprising, and she was given a position as the attache to the sergeant major. This was in the city of Potosi, where she served for two years before going on with the company and engaging in different skirmishes with the indigenous people in the area as Spaniards tried to mine for gold and other resources. Eventually, she decided this wasn't the job for her, and she ended up deserting the military and found work in another city called La Plata. At this time, she was working for a Basquero man and living with a widow named Catalina de Chavez. And now, this is where her story takes yet another ridiculous turn, just when you think it couldn't get any more straight out of fiction. So the lady that she is staying with, whose name is also Catalina, ends up getting into a fight with another lady in town. And I'm simplifying this and cutting out some names because you would not believe the level of drama that went on back in the day. Anyway, to cut an extremely long story short, the woman Catalina was staying with hired a man to go and cut up the other woman's face. Somehow, this led authorities to Catalina, who, surprisingly, actually wasn't involved in this situation at all. However, the authorities did not believe her, and she was tortured for a confession which she didn't give, until all of a sudden a note was given to the judge revealing who the real man who'd been hired was, and then Catalina was released. What was really funny to me about this whole situation was that when Catalina is referring to it in her memoir, she closes the experience by saying, quote, it just goes to show that persistence and hard work can perform miracles, and it happens regularly, especially in the Indies, which I'm not sure if she's just trying to be positive or I kind of took it as sarcasm a little bit. Either way, it was an interesting way to end such a terrible story. Now, obviously, after her release, she decides to head to another town. Once she finds one, after a, couple, after a night of gambling, she ends up offending another man. He tries to jump her a couple of nights later only for her to kill him. Since it was the middle of the night and he had tried to jump her in an alley, she simply went home after, not thinking that there were any witnesses. But there was a witness, and she was set to be executed! And there were priests who tried to take her confession, but she refused. And it was as the noose was settling around her neck that a messenger from the royal court arrived, saying that since she was a Bascaro, there were certain rules that the law had to follow, basically meaning that her case had to actually be tried at the royal court itself, and they weren't allowed to execute her 
until this had happened. So while postponing her trial and execution, it turns out that the witness that had come forward had actually been arrested himself for a different crime. And while he was in prison, he confessed to having been bribed by a different opponent of Catalina's to testify that he'd seen her kill the man. So with this witness account now useless, she was released once again from jail. Okay, so then her story continues, right? You'd think that at this point she'd learned some subtlety, but no. She goes to another town and runs an errand for her old boss. He'd had an account to settle with a man who lived there, and she does him a favor by settling it for him since she was heading through that city. His name was Pedro de Chavaria, and he lived with his wife, Doña Maria Davalos. Chavaria invited her as a guest to his house during her stay, and she was only there for a few days when all chaos broke loose. See, one day, she rode up on the mule she was borrowing to Chavaria's house, and there was a crowd of people outside. She stops to see what's going on, only to get Chavaria's wife, Maria, jumping out of a window and climbing onto the mule behind her. One of the people in the crowd ran up saying that, quote, her husband caught her with the bishop's nephew, and he killed him. Now he's trying to lock his wife up and kill her too. So this then leads to a whole new side quest where Catalina and Maria both take off, trying to put as much distance between Chavaria and them as possible. This includes crossing a raging river that almost drowns them and the mule they're riding on. Just when they seem safe, they hear gunfire from behind them. It turns out that the husband had used some sort of shortcut to catch up with them and started shooting. Catalina manages to get Maria to a convent where Maria's mother lives. Then she turns and faces the husband. They draw swords and begin fighting in the middle of the street. They each suffer blows from each other, but then the police arrive and separate the two. So after getting the full story, Catalina was released without charges, and the husband and wife were separated. It was at this point that Catalina said she, quote, settled her affair and went quite often to visit my little nun and her mother and some of the other ladies there all of whom were invariably pleased by my company and made me gifts of this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, after this misadventure, she begins looking for another way to make a living. The mother of the woman she'd saved from her husband was extremely grateful, and she set her up with law enforcement basically working as a bounty hunter to find wanted criminals. Now, it's around this time she makes her way to La Paz, where almost immediately she ends up murdering the sheriff's servant, basically in the police station, because he had called her a liar. And I don't know what it is about her to make these first impressions on people, but I don't think constantly stabbing everyone is a way to solve the problem. Except, somehow, she ends up getting away with it over and over and over again. But this time she's caught, right? The charges stick, and she was sentenced to death. She got through two full days of confessions before an idea came to her. On the third day, she went to mass at the jail and called on the church to save her, which led to the same routine. The friars surrounded her and got her to a church where she was able to claim refuge. She hid in the church until one of the friars was able to smuggle her out. And from there, she headed to Lima. Now in Lima, she joins the sea battle against the Dutch that was happening at the time because why not, right? She wasn't on board long before she and a few others were cast overboard, captured by the Dutch, and then delivered back on land to Peru. At this point, she makes her way to Cusco and stays there with some friends. One day, she was gambling with a group of friends and ended up playing with someone called the Cid. He was a giant, menacing man who nobody messed with, and she won the hand that she was playing. But the Cid took a handful of her gold and left the table. Catalina didn't do anything, surprisingly, but she kept an eye on him as he hung out in the background. When she saw him approaching the table again, she took her dagger from where it was hidden and 
when he reached out, she skewered his hand to the table. Now, this led to an all-out brawl in the streets between Catalina, the Sid, his partners, and a couple of Bescaro men who happened to be walking by and came to Catalina's aid. Now, the Sid ended up stabbing Catalina in the side and in the shoulder, and she fell, quote, in a sea of her own blood. And it was at this point that the others who were fighting took off, but the Sid stuck around, hanging out by a church doorway. Now, it's possible he was going to employ the same tactic that Catalina had so often hide in the church for refuge, and then try to escape when the heat died down. Either way, Catalina caught him by surprise, and she was able to stab him through the stomach. They then both collapsed to the ground, and the Sid died right there in the street. Now, when law enforcement came, nobody thought that Catalina would make it through the night. But somehow she did, and she was able to recover after about four months. And once she was recovered enough to leave, leave she did. And now this is where her story finally begins winding down a bit. I know it's been a roller coaster up to this point with everything that's happened. But apparently, all the chaos she'd created in her past had not been as forgotten as she would have hoped. There was a warrant out for her arrest for multiple crimes. And she does get lucky a few times. There are times where she's recognized but the people seem to side with her and allow her chances to escape and move on to another town. However, one day, her luck runs out. She's recognized by the sheriff's deputy and chased through the streets in this long, drawn-out gun battle. It was while she was being surrounded that a bishop ran from a nearby church and rescues her by offering her sanctuary. She actually had to defend the bishop at this point because the law enforcement and other people who were trying to capture her were not above shooting the bishop to take her down. So, the bishop extends sanctuary to her, and she gets to sleep for the night. The next morning, she's brought in front of the bishop again and told to confess. At first, she says she'd plan on telling the same story she'd been telling to all the others that she'd confessed to, but this time it felt different. She'd owed this man her life and she'd felt so and she felt so calm and clear-headed it was like she was already in the presence of God. So to this bishop she admitted the truth. She told her entire life story until about one in the morning. Now according to her this bishop had an amazing poker face because he didn't say anything after the story was over other than it was very late and she should get some rest. A day after her extremely long confession, the bishop came to her and told her how he felt blessed to hear her story. She offered a physical examination to prove her story to him and he arranged it. So at this time, two women came in and examined her and apparently they also found that her hymen was intact. And this fact touched the bishop so much that it trumped all of the murder she had been wanted for and gave him enough reason to pardon her for all of her crimes. So that's right. Because she was quote-unquote an intact virgin, she was pardoned for her crimes and allowed to go and live at a convent of her choosing. So of course the news spread everywhere. The Archbishop of Lima actually soon sent for her, much to the disappointment of her new nun friends at the convent she was staying at, and discussed the terms of her agreement. She was given his permission to pick a permanent convent to stay in in Lima, and she ended up choosing the most holy trinity of the order of St. Bernard for two years and five months, while they investigated if she had ever actually completed her training in Spain to become a nun. After those two years and five months, words then arrived to Peru that she had never been professed as a nun since she'd run away before her official ceremony. So she was sent back to Spain. Now at this point in her life, it's she basically does a series of travels. She goes from Seville to Madrid, ends up collecting a pension from the king for her service in the army, and then goes to Barcelona, to Genoa, and then on to Rome. And it's in Rome that the most incredible thing happens. She has a personal meeting with Pope Urban VIII, where she receives permission on this visit to continue on her life of travels, dressing in men's clothing, and 
to hold no guilt for the sins that she'd committed before as long as she promised not to hurt another one of God's human creatures for the rest of her life. So obviously she just says, yeah, sure, I'll do that, and continues on with her travels. And honestly, at this point, she was a bit of celebrity. So everywhere she went, she was always invited to go dine with royalty, always invited to the best parties. And it's right as we're starting to realize how much her life has changed that her story comes to an abrupt end. The year, according to her biography, was 1626, and she had just left Rome for Naples. When she departed, of the ship, she was teased by two women who were flirting with some men by the docks. They saw her and allegedly called out, Senora Catalina, where are you going all by your lonesome? My dear harlots, she replied, I have come to deliver 100 strokes to your pretty little necks and 100 gashes with this blade to the fool who defends your honor. Apparently, that terrified them enough to leave, and she continued on her way. And that is where her biography ends. It's also kind of where everything we know about her ends. Her life drops off the map around 1630, and there's some, there's some historians who suspect she took another ship across the ocean to Mexico and lived there for some time, but there's not really anything else that's known about her. And that is the story of Catalina de Arraso, the lieutenant nun, and how her magical virginity saved her from being prosecuted for around two decades of murder. Wow. <laughs> I don't honestly know what to say about this one. This is such an interesting story because she doesn't really express any kind of guilt or any really emotional impact that any of these adventures had on her. It's the whole, her whole biography is very much a this have happened and this happened and this was the event. And it's exhausting to read because there's so much that happens in what feels like such a short period of time. I don't know. It's really an interesting book. Um, and then, as always, with these autobiographies by people who have admitted to committing such tr crimes like this, they it always is needs to be taken with a grain of salt. It's an autobiography. Autobiographies are generally taken to be factual, but not only was this written in the 1600s and there's only secondhand information really to kind of verify all these events by, but it's written by the person who, who committed these crimes who may not be telling the full story and only be giving one side of everything that happened. Either way, I found that Catalina de Arraso was a really interesting person to do an episode on, and I hope you enjoyed hearing about her. If you want to check out her autobiography, I definitely recommend it. it there's so much more Honestly, this I, I cut out so much of what she talked about and just tried to stick with the main events, but there's just so much that happened in her life that I feel like to do an entire episode just on what she talks about in her biography would be hours long. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Feel free to get a hold of me on Twitter or Instagram at Reads, or you can find more about A Murderous Affair and the other episodes I've done on my website, frumiusreads.com. There's a little link that leads to the A Murderous Affair webpage, and you can see the other podcast episodes that have been posted, as well as some transcripts and more links on where to find more information. I think I finally decided that the official upload day for these episodes is going to be on Mondays, mostly because I like alliteration and hashtag murderous Monday just sounds really cool. Also, it's a Monday, so Mondays everyone feels a little bit murderous. So make sure you guys check back next Monday for the new episode and to see who the mur new murderous we will be talking about is. But that's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. All right. Goodbye. Bye.